And Dennis Stewart joining me, Jan Klein, and you for Health Naturally today. What's on the market today? Well, I shouldn't say the market. What's, what are we chatting about? However you like to phrase it, Jane, it doesn't matter because what we'll be talking about today are in fact substances or things that can frequently be purchased from the market. We last week uh, very, very uh, vaguely and for a short period of time uh, said something about spices. Today, if we get time, I'd like to elaborate on that and point out the increasing awareness of the importance of spices in our diet as far as having medicinal benefits, particularly in some fairly uh, serious conditions. So we'll talk about spices, how to use them, and how to use them medically. Health Naturally today for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And uh, we're talking about spices. We're also looking for your calls, 49216216, your questions for Dennis, and uh, spices. Yes, look, I'd like to elaborate a little bit on this because um, most people would appreciate that herbalists have always uh, placed a great deal of emphasis on what we'd call spicy herbs, particularly ginger and cayenne. But years ago, I read an article in a magazine entitled Let's Live, and it quoted the, the, the work of a, of a British uh, pulmonary specialist, uh, a Dr. Zyment, Z-I-M-E-N-T. And he at that time, and this is going back about 20 years ago, um, did some work for the World Health Organization and was looking at the way in which, particularly in Asian countries, the use of spices seemed to have some prophylactic effect against many of the respiratory diseases that we Westerners experience. And he quoted his experience in Japan, and particularly Japan, where the environment at that stage, and presumably today, uh, still exists as a very polluted environment, uh, where people smoked incredibly. And if you've been to Japan, you would note that smoking is still way out there, being used a lot, so to speak. But he noticed that in this country, uh, even when he visited hospitals as a medical practitioner doing his investigation, he he noticed that the the level of pulmonary disorders was very much lower than what would have been expected in British hospitals. And so he looked at the dietary habits and concluded that the use of hot spices in Asian diets, or not only in Asian diets, but in traditional cultural diets, was very effective uh, in resisting particularly pulmonary disorders. And so he became a doctor, a pulmonary specialist, one of the few to actually prescribe to his patients the regular daily use of hot spices, ginger, curry, and particularly cayenne. And he referred to these spices as having bronchomucotropic properties. That is, they had an effect on the bronchial wall and assisted in breaking up a lot of congestion so characteristic of respiratory problems and as such made the the, the sputum or the mucus, if you like, much more easily expectorated and lessened some of the complications of those diseases. And hence, uh, we find today, 20 or 30 years down the track, that even in the Newcastle Morning Herald, which I read, particularly my wife, every day, um, in, in a couple of articles recently, uh, up-to-date information has confirmed it. For instance, recently in the Herald it was stated that scientists have found evidence that uh, may be drawn to hot spices because they are good for us. Preliminaries research 
suggests spicy food may have all kinds of health benefits, ranging from boosting metabolism and preventing gastric damage to reducing the risk of heart disease and cancer, the newest study published in the British Medical Journal. Uh, that's a pretty significant journal. So spices, we'll talk a bit if we have a chance, but if, even if we don't have a chance, listeners should hang on the emphasis that a regular daily use of hot spices in any form, from chilli to ginger to curry to garlic, can have profound consequences in many diseases. We'll elaborate. We will. Oscar has rung in from Charlestown on 49216216, and you've got a question, Oscar, have you? Yes, I do. Dennis. Hello, Oscar. Uh, you prescribed for me basic coal. Yes. Uh, to be taken with the main meal. Yes. I also take Lipitor. Yes. So can I take the two at the same time, or should I uh, uh, you know, take the Lipitor an hour later? Well, Lipitor's statin, and um, um, it works quite differently to that preparation you are talking about. Um, I could not see any problem in, in, in the use of both of them, but um, obviously you're using the other preparation, are you, to lessen your uh, dosage or need to be on the statin? That's right. Okay. Um, look, I could see no problem in using that preparation, which is based on what we call phytosterols, with a small amount of polycosinol, two very natural substances, which, as you would appreciate, uh, is, is being popularly used in natural medicine circles as a means of addressing particularly mildly elevated levels of cholesterol. And where people are having difficulty with statins, uh, the phytosterols and other natural substances, uh, in my opinion, should be given a go. And that preparation you're talking about has stood us in good stead in my practice. Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. Taking your calls on 49216216. And we are going to the phones just now, Dennis, with Alan from Valentine. Hello, Alan. Hello, oh, there. Your question for Dennis. Hello, Dennis. Hello, uh, Alan. My question is, yes. any of the uh, spice uh, treatments be beneficial for... Uh, Pardon me, polymyalgia rheumatic? Yeah, polymyalgia rheumatic is a nasty condition. How long have you had it for, Alan? Well, I've had a couple of bouts. The first okay. one was about four years ago, okay. and I was put on steroid treatment. That's correct. And backed off, as yes. you know. Yes, yes. And it did come back again last, about last November. Okay. Um, and blood levels got down to normal, but it's yeah. back again now. Okay. For the, for the sake of listeners, polymyalgia rheumatica is essentially a, um, a muscular condition uh, where aches and pains occur all over the muscle body and is quite debilitating and, and, and is treated medically with low doses of steroid. But look, what I'd suggest, Alan, is that you try the spices. Most herbalists in addressing painful muscular rheumatic arthritic conditions would use either a ginger or a cayenne based formula. Uh, mm -hmm. Ginger is popularly used uh, even in sophisticated preparations these days. It has a principle in it called gingerol, which is the active principle in ginger, and it has led to its being used with some degree of benefit in addressing uh, muscular, rheumatic, arthritic type of conditions. Um, so I would certainly suggest that you uh, seek out uh, either uh, ginger or cayenne. Cayenne contains also a principle called capsaicin, which whilst it's used primarily topically to alleviate 
uh, muscle and joint pain, there's also uh, an argument to say that its presence in the bloodstream does have some benefit in addressing inflammatory conditions, painful states. So either ginger, perhaps start with ginger if you're not used to taking hot spices. Ginger's always a very, very good introduction uh, to using spices. It's a beautiful herb that should be used almost on a daily basis, and particularly for those that are sensitive to, say, uh, to chilli. I love chilli, but many people can't handle it. Ginger is a, is a very, very good option. I think it would be worthwhile trying, and certainly it would not conflict with anything that your general practitioner wanted to prescribe, because essentially you're using food as a medicine. I think it would be useful. Now, one of the things about mm. ginger that I find interesting mm. is I never think of it as being a spice with heat. Yeah. But in fact, some gingers are hotter oh, they do. than others. They aren't do. They? And, and this is why I said it's a very good introduction to the benefit of hot spices, particularly for those that can't handle the hotter spices, particularly the chilli. Excellent. Give it a go, Alan. Four nine two one six two one six. Judith from Valentine as well. Hello, you've got a question for Dennis. Yes, hi Dennis. Hi Jane. How are you, Judith? How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. That's a lovely name, Judith. Oh, thank I you. I had a cousin, um, a, a lovely cousin, and uh, Judith was her name. A good old biblical name. My my wife's yes, name yes, is Ruth. So. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful name. name. A beautiful yes. name. How can I help you, Judith? Well. I'm about the different peppers. I've always mm. wondered about this. Yeah. Which is the best white or black pepper? Uh, well, <laughs> when you're talking about peppers, there's a wide range of them um, from what we would refer to as, as the capsicum that we can buy in, in, the, uh, in the fruit shop, so to speak, which we have with salads, etc. They can range from being red through to, to, to black, uh, through to orange, through to yellow. They're, they're the ones that are what you might call the very... Uh, edible um, forms of peppers and different even they belong even though they belong to the same family they're different from the other pepper that we've been talking about or the other series of peppers they're all capsicum but they have different um, species names and they can uh, essentially those ones would not vary significantly um, in in their in their chemistry or benefit and they haven't got the heat that one would find, say, in other members of the peppers, such as the chilli pepper. And it is really the heat factor in in the chilli or the capsicum called chilli that I'm talking about when I say that if you can bring those into your diet, that level of using the pepper, i.e. the hot chilli pepper, will have a profound effect on many conditions. Let me emphasise particularly uh, circulatory conditions and also respiratory conditions. They're the two main areas where uh, hot peppers, as opposed to your edible peppers you're talking about, uh, uh, have been used medically and indeed are the backbone of much traditional medicine. So uh, the, the, the stuff you're talking about or the peppers you're talking about, which I eat also on a daily basis nearly, um, a little bit different from the hot peppers we're talking about, which have the medicinal benefits. What about the black and white pepper we sprinkle on our food? Oh, okay. Well, there you're talking about uh, uh, Piper, Piper nigrum. Uh, they're both members of what's called the pepper family. That's Piper nigrum is the botanical name for both peppers, um, black or white pepper. Um, they are popularly used in Asian medicine in what's called Ayurvedic medicine, which is the traditional system of medicine practiced in India and, and also largely in Pakistan, a system of medicine going way back back uh, 
uh, to 2,000 years before Christ. Um, in Ayurvedic medicine, um, the black pepper is essentially used in the same way that um, the chili would be used, say, in Western herbal medicine or South American herbal medicine. Um, it's, a, it's a different family, piperigrum, as opposed to capsicum anum. Capsicum anum is the botanical name for the pepper family. Uh, piperigrum is the botanical name for black and white pepper. And they can be used for similar purposes. There wouldn't be a day in my life that I wouldn't use uh, some black pepper. If I have an egg, I'll have black pepper on it. Black pepper better than the white? Uh, I don't think there's much difference. I'm not aware of there being any difference. Okay. Uh, it's probably just in the processing or the harvesting of it. But let me emphasize again, the regular serious use of black pepper in the diet could achieve very good benefits in the same way that chili can achieve, particularly on circulation and particularly in stimulating metab- metabolic activity. Hence, its importance in Ayurveda as a remedy that has warming characteristics and is used in traditional Indian medicine for diseases characterised by coldness and moisture and poor circulation. Oh, OK. But I, and I've never used cayenne pepper. What was that for? OK. Uh, cayenne pepper is popularly known as chilli, and it's the most popular used hot spice in the world, I would suspect. And chilli um, is the backbone of, of many traditional medicine approaches. And let me emphasise to listeners who, who might balk when we talk about chilli that chilli comes in various gradations. You can get chilli that's very mild or you can get chilli that'll blow the top of your head off, so to speak. And around the world they have chilli-eating competitions. I haven't put myself in them yet, but I'm pretty good at handling them. So <laughs> they, are, they are a different family. But let me just let emphasise that this British doctor that I was, uh, was talking about, Dr Zymant, a lot of his work was done on looking at the way particularly in which hot chilli preparations used medically had a profound beneficial effect on respiratory conditions of great importance, things like chronic bronchitis, um, lung conditions that were characterised by uh, continual infection, heavy mucus. Uh, This British pulmonary specialist recommended the use of the hot chilli preparations in a medicinal form for patients suffering from that and got great results. So there is a difference. Uh, And if you want to start using chilli, start off with the with the ones that are mild and work up to it. And okay. cayenne's usually okay, reasonably you. hot, isn't and it? Cayenne's reasonably hot, that's correct. Yes, so that might be a, a graduation. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> and look, you fall in love with them. You really do fall in love with them. The first time I was introduced uh, to, uh, to Chile was when I was doing a lecture series in the Gold Coast. This goes back many, many years ago. And my guest was a great uh, fan of hot Mexican food. And uh, I had not really been into that. And I remember going out to a Mexican restaurant with him late at night after the lecture program. And I fell in love with Mexican food and probably ate too much. Uh, Very quickly, about uh, halfway through the morning, I realised that chilli had profound possibilities, particularly on the gut. So (laughs) let me just warn people, or let me just say to people, if you have a very sluggish gut, particularly a sluggish bowel, a small amount of chilli in the diet will tend to overcome that. Health Naturally and Dennis Stewart taking your calls. Jan's rung in from Etalong Beach. Hello, Jan. Hi, how are you going? Hello, Jan. Hi, Dennis, how are you? I'm well indeed. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good, good. 
Um, Dennis, my question is in regard mm. to my grandson. Yes. He is he is about to have a bone marrow transplant. Yes. He has an immune deficiency, um, yes. severe combined immune deficiency. He's adenosine deaminase deficient. Yes. Um, he, um, because he has a very weakened immune system, um, he the doctors have already said that in the process of the chemotherapy prior to the bone marrow transplant, he will develop mucositis. Mm. Um, we're wondering, is there anything that we can use that's a natural product that would assist in that? Well, the first thing I would say there is that anything you do, any self-initiative, uh, should be run past uh, your grandson's medical managers. Because, oh, absolutely. Because, absolutely, because yes. sometimes, um, despite the fact that the thing might be natural, it mm. can either interfere or uh, be beneficial in a medical procedure. And now yep. I'm, I will speak very generally here, and anything I say is, it should be interpreted as being a possibility to be confirmed or denied by those that are looking after your grandson. But, oh, look, at, yeah, I have a number of um, patients, clients, if you like, who over the years have undergone uh, chemotherapy for various conditions, and I have always recommended to those patients that they discuss the use of a bracket of Asian remedies, uh, particularly a formula called Astragalus 8. Now, Astragalus 8 is a blend of eight Asian remedies spearheaded by the well-known immunosupportive remedy Astragalus membranaceus. It's a formula that was developed uh, during the period of Mao Zedong, and Mao Zedong developed what was called Fusheng therapy, the idea of Fusheng therapy, which means in Chinese, in conjunction with. And he insisted that Chinese doctors using medical procedures, Western medical procedures, should also incorporate the wealth of medical knowledge from traditional Chinese medicine. And so Fusheng therapy is the term that was used to, uh, to convey that idea in Astragalus 8 would be an example of Fusheng therapy, which may or may not be used um, in conjunction with chemotherapeutic approaches. Um, what I suggest you do, um, Astragalus 8 is fairly readily available from, from your pharmacist. Yeah. I would suggest that uh, go to your pharmacist, get the information from him, or indeed contact the, the, the manufacturers whose base is in Byron Bay, and I know these people very well. One of them was one of my graduate students. Um, contact them, run it past them, um, what I have suggested to you, and they may be able to bring you up to date even with more information than I have at my hands on this particular concept. Um, and then, with the information, discuss that with the medical managers uh, and see what they say. But that would be what I would be thinking of, only thinking of. Um, but as I said, get the information, discuss it with the managers and see what their attitude might be. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That's, it's, it's obviously anything that would be run through um, the team of doctors that, oh, absolutely. that works with him. But um, absolutely. just looking at that maybe It may be useful. It, it, might, it might be interactive. It may be no benefit at all. But if there's anything that, in my mind, that might help from the herbal world, it could be that. Fantastic. Thank you, Jan, and good luck. Ron has rung in on 49216216 from Arcadia Vale. Hello, Ron. Hello. Hello, Ron. Hello, Dennis. 
I talked to you yesterday, mate. I remember you. I remember your voice. And, I, I remember your face. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, Dennis, I had a long period of chemo and radiation. Yes, yes, yes. And I was in the cancer support yes. group at Wales. Yes. Um, where a lot of people had beaten down the same yes, path. Yes, yes. Um, they turned around and put me on to crystallised ginger. Yes. And I used to carry that. I cut it up about as big as a pea, and yes. I used to suck it. Yes. But I don't know what I would have done without it because okay. it really got me through. See, a lot of people don't uh, realise, Ron, that the ginger can function as an anti-nauseant. And in, yes. in a lot of um, chemotherapy procedures... Uh, an unfortunate side effect of it can be that the patient can experience nausea. And ginger can be a very safe, uh, accessible and economical way of addressing nausea. Uh, and, and it's not only uh, nausea associated with the side effect from, from chemo, but um, ginger can also be used usefully, in my opinion, for, for women that are experiencing a bit of morning sickness, uh, a ginger drink. Ginger can be um, converted very uh, comfortably into into a ginger tea. If one goes to our good health food stores here in the Hunter, we'll find various tea preparations of ginger. My wife's a great fan of ginger tea. So ginger in any form, but particularly, say, ginger tea, where one turns it into an infusion, um, that can be a very useful way of addressing nausea from any cause. And I'm well aware of the way in which certain cancer support groups are recommending ginger to cover the situation that you worked through, Ron. Thanks for ringing, Ron. Yeah, uh, yeah, and thanks for looking after us. Yeah, okay, good on you. Taking your calls, 49216216, and Claire has rung in from Corlett with a question for Dennis Stewart today. Hello, Claire. Hello, Dennis. It's nice to speak to you. Thank you. Um, I'm just recovering from whooping cough, mm. and I'm just wondering if there's anything I can be taking to um, help the process along a bit. Are you still coughing, Claire? Or um, you, not uh, as much. That's good. And is there any congestion? Uh, not as much. That's it's good. It's mainly just phlegm in the throat now. Okay. But my voice has been badly affected. Yes, and, I um, can tell that. I can yeah. tell. Look, a couple of little things that I, I would mention with reference to your experience of whooping cough is that, well, to start with, people that experience the symptoms of whooping cough can frequently get a dramatic and almost spontaneous relief of the cough by using a herb called Drosera rotundifolia, um, which is commonly known as sundew. It's a a herb that, even though it grows in Australia, um, Mm -hmm. is an introduced herb. Uh, This time of the year, it would be starting to show itself on uh, very acidic soils, Uh, Mm -hmm. but most... uh, Sundew preparations that we use and that I use, and I use a lot of it, uh, are based on imported uh, dried sundew, which is extracted and converted into a liquid. Uh, it was made famous by Samuel Hanneman, who was an Austrian physician and the father of homeopathy, and it spilled over into the herbal camp. And I have seen uh, the hoop of the whooping cough virtually disappear um, so quickly as a result of administering a very low dose of the fluid extract of 
Drosera rotundifolia, or sundew as it's commonly known. Not a popular herb, uh, but accessible from good herbal dispensaries um, and in a very low dose and very economical. So I mention that as a preface to your question because there may be other people out there who are battling the symptoms of whooping cough. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, sundew is the most exciting thing that I've used in my 35 years of addressing this problem. Now, you're largely beyond... Uh, the need to use that, but yes, I mentioned I that. Could have done with that. You a could few have done, and, and and what I've done, Claire, is take advantage of your question just to let listeners out there who may be experiencing this whooping type of condition of the benefits that can be obtained uh, in addressing the symptoms by using uh, sundew, Drosera rotundifolia. But secondarily, what I would be suggesting in in your case is something uh, fairly straightforward and 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 fairly simple. Um, Start to use, uh, start to use a lot of manuka honey. Manuka honey, right? Now, okay. Manuka honey is a little bit different from uh, from straight out honey, in as much that is what we would refer to as the the medical form of honey. It is honey, but it has a very high content of constituents in it, which have made it popular for addressing infection. Some even say that manuka honey should not be taken regularly as a food because it's got very strong potential antibiotic characteristics. Whether that's so or not, I throw it into the to the uh, into the discussion. But honey, at the best of times, but particularly <laughs> manuka honey, has a very soothing, relaxing effect right. on the, on well, the whole I of am the respiratory. Antibiotics, because uh, mm. apparently I was given the wrong one in the first yeah, place. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, this won't clash with it. That's and, and can only, my next question. <laughs> and, and, it can, and it can only it can only soothe the condition quite right. dramatically. Uh, the other thing that I would would say also is that if your throat is still rasping and, and going very... like this, go to your pharmacist up there or, or to your naturopath or herbalist and get hold of some licorice extract. There's nothing more anti-inflammatory and soothing on the on the throat and and the uh, and the chest generally than oral preparations of liquid ec- uh, licorice. I think if you were to do that, uh, get into say some manuka honey and mm-hmm. see it as a a soothing, useful expectorant with yeah. some potential antibiotic action on the infection, um, and use as I've said some licorice extract. Which I have been actually eating licorice, well, but that's, that's good. obviously not as Well, keep as in mind that the, 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 all licorice isn't licorice. Mm, true, uh, it's um, licorice, So you yeah. really need to get what's called the fluid extract of licorice. Right. Um, if you can't get any of these things, and I say this to listeners generally, they're always available from my rooms at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton, but wherever possible, patronise your own. Uh, area, the, the the medicos, the herbalists, the pharmacists that might stock these things I'm talking about. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart for our, our sponsor, the New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And uh, your calls, we've still got time for a call or two more, 49216216. Michael has rung in from Kurenbong. Hello, Michael. Hello, how are you? Hello, Michael, how are you? Yes, good, thanks, Dennis. Good, um, good. Look, thanks for the program. I was listening in last week and you were yes. talking about turmeric um, yes. for the gut. Yes. So I've got a 21-year-old daughter with uh, ulcerative colitis. colitis. Bad mm-hmm. days yes. of it. Yes. Had it for probably five years, maybe mm. more. Mm. But uh, I got her to, uh, on the turmeric challenge for a month, 
Okay. Right. And, uh, I was just wondering if you could tell me uh, anything else I could do and what she should avoid and what she should be uh, concentrating on eating. Okay. Take. Now, is she presently taking steroids? Yes, yes. She's okay. under a specialist. And, then, yeah. and rightly so. For the sake of listeners who may not be familiar with ulcerative colitis, ulcerative colitis is an inflammatory disease of what we call the large bowel. Um, it is a nasty disease, usually characterised by bleeding, uh, discomfort and potential uh, serious um, um, destruction, if you like, of the, of the bowel wall. Um, and therefore it obviously needs to be medically managed. And in years ago, prior to modern uh, drug therapy for it, people would have been very, very seriously compromised. So um, with the advent, of course, of immunosuppressant medications and steroid medications, which your daughter would have been having for some time, uh, the prognosis has improved somewhat. And with reference to ulcerative colitis, anything I say, therefore, would only be seen to be uh, supportive and complementary to the treatment that she's obviously having from a gastroenterologist. The two things that I would be suggesting... Um, that you think about is the regular use of a herb called slippery elm. Now, slippery elm is, even in this town, um, known medically as a very useful agent uh, with what might be referred to as soothing characteristics on the uh, the bowel wall. It has a substance in it called mucilage, and mucilage passes through the gut uh, relatively unscathed and presents a microscopic protective barrier on the bowel wall that promotes healing. And it's more of a food, and it's very, very well tolerated. And uh, for years, I have recommended it as useful support or complementary therapy for people with inflammatory bowel disease, whether it be ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. So that's one thing that uh, I would be uh, recommending that she discuss uh, with her medical manager, I would be surprised if there would be any objection to her using that. The second thing I would say is that I have found uh, the herb bilberry, particularly as a liquid extract, uh, very effective for dealing with some of the bleeding that can sometimes characterise this condition. And for years, I have prescribed a, a combination based on bilberry extract, which I am convinced has had a useful uh, hemostatic effect on the bowel wall and has lessened, uh, therefore, the need for, for, for stronger medical intervention. Uh, bilberry functions uh, as an astringent, and people probably are saying, oh, well, bilberry's for the eye. Well, uh, bilberry can be used uh, for the eye, but part of its activity as a liquid extract is based on what's called its astringent characteristics, and as such, uh, the, the astringent characteristic makes the bowel wall less permeable lessens the bleeding that can sometimes be accompanying this disease and, in my opinion, is a useful complementary way of working with the medical approach to it. So two things, uh, slippery elm as a food uh, taken in either capsule or as a powder form and the liquid extract, let me emphasise, the liquid extract of bilberry. And if you are interested, Michael, you should ring my rooms on Monday um, and ask for the article from Dr Weiss's book on using bilberry for bowel conditions, and we will send it out to you as a copy. So oh, that's what's your, what's your uh, phone third, number there? Uh, four four nine five six two three two one, mm-hmm. and just tell my receptionist that you'd spoken to me, 
and mm-hmm. you want the article on Bilberry from Dr. Weiss's work, uh, which justifies it being considered for bowel conditions characterised by inflammation, diarrheic states and some bleeding. Will do. Thank you very much. And, you. and the turmeric's still a good thing to well, pick that up? Um, how, what form are you using it in? Uh, powder form with the black pepper and the ginger and the honey and the cinnamon. It's, in a it's, it's, it's not irritating you? Uh, I haven't heard that it is. Okay, okay. Um, my, my immediate response is that that might be a little bit heroic, but um, if she's handling it all right, well and good. Maybe that's why it's the challenge, <laughs> is it? That's the challenge. <laughs> There's $100 in it for us. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for your call right. and keep up the good challenges. Run it past her specialist to make sure he's aware of it. Yes. Thank you, Michael. And that's bringing us to the end of Health Naturally for today. Thank you, Dennis. Well, what Stewart. a program. We did a lot on on the hot, spicy substances. Spicing up our lives. We might do it again next week. We'll Let's see. We'll see. more spices.